When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, so I just plug this guy in here and turn this on. And we are good to go. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and we are back. We have been on a longer-than-expected hiatus over the last several weeks, and a lot has changed since we last brought you a new episode of this show. Like the rest of the world, I am now recording this podcast from my house in Los Angeles. And for the time being, I'll be interviewing my guests via Zoom. All of this presents some new and interesting challenges, but I am excited to bring you episodes during this time that I can promise will be both hilarious and at times kind of intense. And I'm not going to lie, today's episode gets a little dark. But if you stick around until the end, you'll get to hear a truly insane story about that time Ira Glass got blackout drunk. So, you know, at least there's that. I actually recorded my conversation with the brilliantly funny Eugene Merman long before the coronavirus pandemic began. You might know Eugene as the voice of Gene Belcher on Bob's Burgers, but he is also one of the most innovative stand-up comics of his generation. This month, Eugene and his longtime collaborator, Julie Smith-Clem, released their new documentary, It Started as a Joke, on iTunes, Amazon, and a bunch of other platforms. So I decided to do a quick check-in with him from his home on Cape Cod, and then share our longer interview from last year's South by Southwest Festival after that. But first, let's hear a clip from It Started as a Joke. The film chronicles the legendary Eugene Merman Festival, which literally started as a joke and then ended up running for 10 years in Brooklyn. In this clip, Eugene and previous Last Laugh guest Mike Birbiglia tell the story of how the festival came to be. After a show that Julie and I did at Union Hall, me, her, and Mike Birbiglia were hanging out and joking around. We were drinking, and Eugene said, <laughs> I have this idea. What if we made a festival that's just making fun of other festivals? <laughs> and Julie and I go, yeah, that sounds great. And then they did it, and they cut me out, <laughs> and literally made billions of dollars. When it began, the joke was sort of like, I'm just a guy who does comedy, and I'm doing this festival near me. And, and in fact, we thought it would be a one-off, and then over the years, we kept doing it. And then at some point around year four, five, or six, we were like, I guess we have to do 10. All right. So now you're going to hear my recent Zoom conversation with Eugene Merman, and after that, our longer talk from last year. Let's do it. Hi. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Can you see I me? can. This is all very new for me, the Zoom, the Zoom interviews. So uh, thanks, yes. for, thanks for me, doing me this. Too. You're my first. Oh, wow. Zoom oh, wow. interview. 
I've really been enjoying uh, your your Instagrams, your daily quarantine schedules. Um, oh, thank you. I was wondering if you don't mind uh, reading one of them out loud, maybe one one of your favorites of the of the schedules. Uh, so, uh, sure. Seven a.m. Wake up and compile a list of worst case scenarios. Eight a.m. Look at the internet and break all your windows in anger. Um, nine a.m. Make an herb or cheese omelet. 10 a.m. Zoom Mandarin class for toddler. 1 p.m. Lunch of just rosé. 2 p.m. Reach out to trusted colleagues about sending nude photos. 3 p.m. Order a standalone freezer. 4 p.m. Absentmindedly wipe down things throughout your home. Again. 7 p.m. Frozen uh, dinner of frozen whatevers in something. 8 p.m. Skim Dead Sea Scrolls for clues. 9 p.m. Drunk FaceTime with Alan Alda. 11 p.m. Fill humidifier and go to bed. I love those because there's this great uh, combination of the sort of absurd and the and the mundane um, that you're uh, that you're doing there. That that that's, yes. that captures this this moment that we're in. That feels like uh, this combination of boredom and and just uh, this fear. A new yeah fear that that no one has experienced before. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean. So that's that's one way that that you're you know getting comedy out there in this time. How is it? How is this affecting your ability to sort of be funny, both in a in a personal and a, a professional way? Um, I mean, I'm in terms of a personal way, I'm allowed to joke around with uh, people when I speak to them. <laughs> uh, I mean, professionally, I like we aren't recording. Um, you know. Uh, new episodes of Bob's right now. Um, I'm obviously not touring. Um, however much it would be fun to kill your own fan base. Um, uh, so, so you know, in terms of professionally, I'm more writing or doing things. I mean, I'm you know, our our movie is is going to come out, and so I'm doing interviews. But I'm also just spending mostly time with um, my son because. Yeah that's where just uh, hiding from uh, an invisible disease. So the reason we're, you know, talking now is because your, your documentary, it started as a joke is about to come out. Uh, or I think by the yeah. time people hear this, it will have uh, come out on streaming. Um, is it weird to have a project like that sort of coming out in this time and, and having to promote it and, and, because it just—it's sort of just coincidence that it that it happens to be coming out now. Because you shot it quite a quite a long time ago, right? Yeah, we shot it a few years ago, and it premiered at South by Southwest last year. Um, yeah, I mean it's weird, but like everything is weird in an unprecedented pandemic, or you know, in in my and many people's lifetime. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's weird. I don't. I don't know. I think the truth is the more things that can be done that are sort of normal are helpful because everything is sort of terrifying. So anything that anyone can do that's joyful for them or creates any kind of feeling of normalcy is is good. Yeah, I mean, I, the movie is is a great distraction from all of this because it does feel like it comes from such a different time when people were gathering together and yes. doing a comedy and and seeing things on stages. Um, so it is really fun to watch in that sense. I mean, I saw it over a year ago um, around South by Southwest and then rewatched it uh, last night and just really enjoyed, um, you know, watching it again. Um, so, you know, what 
what do you what do you sort of hope that that people get out of of watching it as as a distraction or as a, as an ability to to watch it right now? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, one, I do hope that it's a bit of a distraction, however sort of bittersweet it is. Um, and I hope it, you know, brings some amount of joy or relief or I don't know. I mean, I think that, um, yeah, I just hope people enjoy it. I don't, I don't know if there's like significantly more, like, I don't know if I'm like, oh, I hope they question their own mortality. <laughs> like, yeah. I think everyone is, is getting a chance at that now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously when we, so we had a, a conversation a year ago um, at South by Southwest that we're going to put out uh, with this interview um, soon uh, that people are going to be listening to now. Um, and at that time, you know, uh, we were talking, you were, we were in Austin and, and your wife had been at the, at the premiere there. And I was yeah. so sorry to, to hear that she has passed since then. Um, and just yeah. want to tell you that, that I'm, I was just, so sorry to hear that. Um, Thank you. So, I mean, that must be very hard as well to be, you know, that's so recent and then putting this movie out and sort of dealing with this crazy time and all that. I mean, I don't even know, you know, what to say or what, what the question is, but it just, it, it must be just very- Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you know, in a sense, I mean, yeah, she died a few months ago and, you know, um, and there were also obviously the months leading up to that in, in the years. Um, uh, you know, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, I've just been in a place where I'm, you know, trying to sort of make sure my son is okay, as okay as he can be. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's, it's going all right. And when we talk about her and remember her and, you know, um, and, and then there's also this kind of, yeah, like then the world all of a sudden is on hold and, and you go from like just making sure that like he's okay to like being like by the way doorknobs are very dangerous now yeah and it's insane um so i don't know i mean i think there's a lot of just getting through each day day by day mm. and anything that can be done that is pleasant um you know everybody should try I'm sure so much of your your days now are just you know spent as you said with your son and making sure he's okay. But are there things that you're doing during this quarantine time to sort of uh, bring joy and and laughter into your into your own life? And um, um, I mean, you know, I'm more like trying to think like it's it's you know still a little cold and sort of trying to think of fun things that we can do. You know, I got a tent and in a few weeks we'll probably start being able to like camp in our yard and mm -hmm. you know we're in a rural enough sort of area so there's a lot of places to walk around and you can go play like on a beach and stuff like that um where there aren't tons of people it's it's not spring breaky here mm -hmm. um and you know i don't know in terms of i mean i'm talking to friends on facetime and zoom and stuff like that um and working on little projects with friends um and then trying to think of like John Benjamin and I today are going to do like a Q and A to raise money for, um, you know, uh, for, to raise money for a charity. And we'll probably try to do that more. I mean, I think with all of this, there's just a certain, and, and with illness in general, there's just a powerlessness. So I think anything you can do to either be helpful or distracted or happy, I think is, is good. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been fascinating to see how comedy has moved online in this new way over the, just in the last week or so, 
you know, like what you guys yeah. are doing uh, with John Benjamin, what Mike Birbiglia has been doing on Instagram, yeah. comedians, and but it it does feel like um, as great as all that is, comedy does need there's a lot of comedy needs a live audience, and that really comes through in the documentary as well. So do you yeah. do you worry about sort of the the future of of comedy or or when when we're going to get back to being it, able to to do? I mean, I feel like I worry that the I worry that like the federal government isn't doing a good enough job on a large enough scale to like pandemic like i worry that like people are going to lose loved ones like like it's that 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 an unprecedented disaster is is weeks away and when this airs it'll probably have have Mm -hmm. partially happened in a horrifying way um so yeah i mean i hope to do shows again but like i i i I think one way or another, like things will get back to some version of normal. Um, you know, I don't know if it means that people will wear face masks more often and they'll be Purell at, at doors or will be quarantined for, you know, five months and or eight months to some degree, you know, because of our inability to stop this when it needed to stop. I, I imagine that live events will return um, in a, Mm-hmm. you know but but like i'm i'm my more immediate concern is there being like enough ventilators but i can't order ford to do anything about it yeah so i can like buy gift cards to restaurants i like and mm-hmm. donate to various gofundmes and stuff but it but it's like but, but the amount of sort of money and effort that's needed to make things better is 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 not something i think any voice actor even a simpsons voice actor could do alone (laughs) now let's go back in time to before we all got stuck indoors and listen to eugene and me in the same room less than six feet apart talking more about it started as a joke and of course bob's burgers and you're here with a documentary which is exciting you have you have a film so how did uh how did the premiere go um, it was good. It was really fun. Um, yeah, the people came and they seemed to enjoy it. And that's good. Yeah, I mean, I got to see the film uh, in L.A. actually before the festival and just really uh, fell in love with it and made me really bummed that I did not ever get to go to the festival because I had moved to L.A. I think by the time uh, it started. Um, I used to live in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you just, um, I guess, tell a little bit of the story of, of how this thing started? I mean, the film's called It Started as a Joke. So basically, I th- so Julie Smith, who directed the movie, Julie Smith-Clem, and I, um, I used to run this weekly show in Brooklyn near our house um, with actually Michael Showalter. The three of us did it for a while, and then I think maybe like two years into doing it, Michael was like, wait a second, I, I have stage fright. I don't want to perform anymore. <laughs> uh, and then we were like, okay. And then we kept doing it. Um, and then... You know, at some point after a show, and I don't know what I saw, but we were joking around that I was like, I'm going to do the Eugene Berman Comedy Festival. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what made me, I think I saw something like that. Like so maybe it was either a company or some person doing a thing that seemed ridiculous. And then I jokingly was like, I'm going to do this. And then we thought about it and we're like, oh, that is that is sort of funny. And so then we put one on. Um, there was a new venue opening up um, called Bell House, which then became the home of this festival, yeah. owned by the same people who own uh, Union Hall. And um, yeah, we did it and it was really fun. And then, and, but it also was like months of preparation for this thing. And, you know, uh, and then, you know, 
six months later, I think we were, we were like, oh, maybe we'll do it again. And then <laughs> sort of like we'd we'd keep doing that. Uh, and then we were like, I guess, I guess maybe let's do 10 years. And also Julie and I, you know, separately, Julie before me and me after moved back to Massachusetts. So it, aside from like a festival that like mostly is just your friends coming by, all our friends sort of started moving to L.A. And mm-hmm. then we moved away. And then it's like, well, this is very untenable to produce a festival for sort of fun yeah that takes months to do uh in a place we're not living anymore yeah well with all that in mind it's impressive that it lasted the 10 years yeah um um the there's a quote uh that i love you know in the movie or that mike birbiglia describes uh it as a festival that makes fun of other festivals um mm-hmm. which i think is is ironic that it's now the doc, the documentary about the festival is now premiering at a festival. Yes. Yeah. You, so. <laughs> you become you become what you make fun of. <laughs> it's fine. Um, some of the you, you've done you've done a lot of like uh, kind of outlandish and ambitious things uh, for the festival over the years. Um, mm-hmm. Can you just talk about some of some of the favorites or that that stand out for you when you think back on it? I mean, it's in the movie, but we had a we had a bouncy castle with a therapist inside who's like a real therapist, <laughs> mm-hmm. and people would. And then, like, talking to people, they would, uh, like, sometimes they'd be like, you know, he was really helpful. Like, it was really <laughs> nice that it was ludicrous and then enjoyable. We did a thing where, where we had an awkward party bus mm-hmm. where we um, rented a party bus and then I made a mix. And the mix was basically whatever fun-ish da- music, like, that people could enjoy. But every other song was Harry Chapin. So it was, like, a sad, sto- long story about something that just went terribly wrong in someone's life. And then a fun song. And then we also had a friend of ours who was an actress sit on the bus crying. <laughs> and it's funny because people would come up to me and go, uh, wow, there's, you know, there's someone on the bus who seems really upset. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, it, was, it was weird. I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's an actress. But like, like it's an awkward, we had a side that said awkward party bus. <laughs> um, so, so that, uh, and, you know, I think other things sort of in that vein. Yeah. I mean, the other big sort of thing that, that comes out from the film about the way you booked the festival was you would kind of cre- create these very creative lineups, mm-hmm. sort of also kind of make fun of the way festivals will Yes. Try to make some theme out of the random, you know, five people that are on a show. Right. Well, yeah. Or or put like, uh, I mean, as as happens in a lot of like, well, more comedy festivals. Also, uh, like, like where they'll have like, you know, nice Jewish boys or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, <laughs> um, or nast, nasty moms. <laughs> I think it's literally a show, um, which is fine. Um, again, also, it's like all of it. The, the truth is the festival was more of like a... You know, it was somewhere, it was half ironic and half sincere, like meaning it sort of made fun of festivals. But the truth is, it was also just a celebration of people of the comedy community in, in Brooklyn and in New York. And it was kind of about just doing things that were fun, you know, yeah. so, so much more of it, like, like the, the, the thing about the, like the therapist in a bouncy castle is that's not making fun of or not making fun of a thing. It's just like a silly fun thing, like right. a clown giving tax advice who was like a licensed, mm-hmm. uh, uh, accountant or whatever like is just more fun so a lot of the stuff we did was much more sort of about being a very silly festival and then yeah our show titles were always kind of uh you know joking and either plays on on random things at festivals or just some funny mm. 
title. Yeah, I feel like the one of each show was maybe the one that got the most attention. I feel like I remember hearing about that when it <laughs> when yes. it happened. Right, right. Because I think we were just because also we knew so many comics who were like, I'm on like this show of like all all gay stand ups or whatever, mm-hmm. and and so we wanted to <laughs> so we wanted to make fun of that by having. Uh, also, like it's you, it's untenable to have one of of, of every class <laughs> yeah. type, but um, but yeah, it was fun. Um, so one the other thing that's really striking about the film is you follows over these ten years, and we're watching the people that you know you started with at the festival all just become incredibly famous. Um, yes, and I'm I'm just curious what what's that been like for you to kind of have this group of friends, um, you know, yourself included, where you start out, you know decade ago and everyone's kind of just trying to figure it out and make it in New York. And then it really, it really does feel like the, the level of success that this, you know, your group of comedians has had has been, has been really impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's wonderful because, you know, a lot of these people, I mean, they're, you know, my favorite comics, they're so funny. So it's like, it's wonderful to see, you know, like Kamel do so well. Get nominated for an Oscar. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. And then, and and you know showalter but it's i think that to me it's really just like there is this really lovely community and there is a world of people who are all kind of very supportive i mean you know for me like um you know and working like like uh when i moved to new york i started doing stella shows the shows that uh, mm-hmm. Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter and David Wayne did they hosted this sort of uh nightclub comedy show and they and then when they went on the road they brought me to open for them so i feel like and that and that was really you know something that that helped me a lot and then pat oswald brought me on comedians of comedy and david cross had me opening for him so i think that there are all these people um who who helped and then you know the, it sort of continues and and then you end up helping other people and it's it's lovely to see them become you know staples of you know like i guess culture yeah. Um, I mean, you really did start out in this, you know, kind of classic now alt comedy uh, scene in New York, which we see in the film with all of these kind of shows that were hosted in bars and and, and all that. Um, what did you feel like uh, or what was that like when you when you were starting out? Um, did, did it feel like it was as exciting as it sort of looks in retrospect i mean yeah a little bit but also you're you know so i started doing stand-up in kind of the mid 90s basically like i did it in college and then sort of in boston for several years after that before moving to new york and when i started you know there had been a a sort of big crash of stand-up in terms Mm -hmm. of like it was huge in the 80s and then by the early 90s it was kind not not gone but it was mostly people who were just good at stand-up around um And so I didn't like, you know, creating, like finding these new spaces and sort of doing all this stuff and, you know, trying to figure out how to kind of become a professional comedian. Um, You know, it both seemed like it was just also incremental. So so you just like you were just hoping that like one month that that each month something that like looked better than the month before had happened or each Mm -hmm. year looked like a little closer to you, you know, making uh, enough to pay rent or whatever it is. And and that slowly sort of happened. So I do think it felt exciting and there were lots of people who were funny doing stuff. Um, And then, and then, you know, it was in New York and LA and then also a lot and, and then even across sort of the country and then with like a lot of 
playing with a lot of bands. Mm -hmm. There felt like there was like a real sort of community and tapestry of artists across um, across the country. Yeah, you have a uh, you've opened for for bands, right? In, in I have certain situations that always seems like a really challenging uh, comedy. Well, like <laughs> just like when you're just trying to figure out how to sort of break through and have people hear about you and make things like you do, you know, a lot of I just sort of whatever becomes available. And yeah, I I had a booking agent for a long time named Robin Taylor who was wonderful, and she. I used to do this show called Tinkle um, that Todd Berry and John Benjamin and David Cross used to host mm-hmm. in New York City. And she saw me at that show and then one day was like, hey, would you like to open for the Shins? <laughs> this is like 2001 or two or something, like whenever they were sort the height of... height of Garden State uh, I think mania. it was like either right before or right after, whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever it was. Like it was, you know, they had three sold out shows at Bowery, I think, Ballroom. And I went on. I, so so she I was like sure uh, sounds great and then uh, you know it was like something like two bands and then I wasn't listed so I went on at eleven which is the time the shins were supposed to go <laughs> on so everyone's like shins 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 and then someone I don't even know if I was introduced like I think I just went out and I was like hi I'm Eugene I'm gonna do some stand up comedy oh, man. and people were like what is going on <laughs> and then I uh, you know people were sort of yelling a little and then I remember. Like saying to so like saying to the audience like I can't believe I'm being heckled by people who could get beat up by Bell and Sebastian, <laughs> and then that kind of won them over. And then you know I did some jokes and then played I think a video which like mm-hmm. people tended to not um, yell at videos. And so like and then from that uh, you know I uh, she had you know I toured with Modest Mouse um, after that. The, 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 she started becoming yeah. my booking agent. The Shins and then, experience didn't deter you from uh, well, no. To... Also, like I like it was work, yeah. you know. So and and it was fun and um and she and and then like I toured with Andrew Bird and but then there's also like you know sort of other avenues where like Yola Tango would always have comedians on their Hanukkah shows mm-hmm. like sort of unrelated to that and so there was this sort of world of comics and musicians. Um, doing stuff like, you know, for for a very long time at Invite Them Up, the show that Bobby Tisdale and Holly Schlesinger and I did in New York, um, Langhorn Slim would close all the shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that there was a real camaraderie with comedy and music. Um, yeah. Do you, do you feel like alt-comedy still exists? Is all comedy alt-comedy now? Like, what, do you... I, I don't think, I mean, I think it's... I don't think it matters exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the same. I think, like, it's sort of the way that people, you know, would refer to alternative music or modern music. Like, mm-hmm. some of those things are, you know, like, have, like, cult fan bases. Some of those things are gigantic and as popular as any hugely popular thing. So I think it's, like, this yeah. big genre. Um, I don't know that it, like... Mm-hmm matters i think it helps people uh, it gives people an idea but even if you think of all the sets in the movie you know there's mm-hmm. so many different sets and so many different types of things that you know it's all maybe vaguely you'd think of as alternative to some degree but not but but all kind of different from each other and and even like you know pat noswalt is very different from maria bamford is very different from stella is very mm-hmm. different from reggie watts but like you'd maybe then go like i don't know is that all alternative i guess or or not either way seems fine yeah well it kind of kind of goes with what we were saying about the the alternative comedians uh gaining more and more success over right. the years so yeah yeah i always think it's very odd that there's a um alternative uh music or alternative rock category at the grammys uh 
Because right. What does that mean? It's just I don't know, and and I don't know. Maybe it's as popular as non-alternative. I think it's just a genre like heavy metal. Yeah. Um, it just started out as the word alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll start saying that I'm heavy metal comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I prefer. And you actually, uh, in college at Hampshire, created your own uh, comedy major. Is that is I that did. correct? Yes, I may. I created yeah my own major of comedy, and then for my thesis my final project i did a one-hour stand-up act oh wow um and now in hindsight i'm like it really could have been 45 minutes that would have been totally reasonable <laughs> yeah that, that's pretty uh for a for a college senior to, to do an hour that's a yeah i mean i it is and you know but but also th- the whole experience was great because the truth is like i wanted to do comedy so you know running this weekly show and trying out different bits and you know seeing what worked and what didn't and then kind of assembling it all and then promoting this event was actually everything i had to do when i then uh left college and wanted to become a comedian i mean to promote that event like i literally like faxed press releases from a computer being like <laughs> i don't know is this what someone does i just tried everything you could do and it turned out it worked like i faxed this press release to a local paper and they came and they wrote a story about it and i was like, oh my God, you can fax people and they'll come and write things and often say some of the stuff you 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 insisted was true. Um, so <laughs> it's so and and then when I moved to Boston, I would I would do that and then and and also flyer like I I've always sort of found it easier to sort of make a thing and promote it. So I had this like weekly show and I would stand in Harvard Square and hand out like a thousand flyers for it and just do that every week and then. Over time, I guess you become a comedian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like you're you're probably the only comedian who uh, professional comedian who did in college what something that actually contributed to your right the thing that I wanted yeah. to do. Uh, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I mean, people probably a lot of people probably did film and are now filmmakers. But, yeah, that's true. Uh, it's stopping in stand up along the way. But yes, I, you know, my college, which seemed, what I did seemed at the time, like sort of this far-fetched thing in in a sense is like quite practical. Yeah, it's funny because I think Hampshire can, because it has that sort of loose vibe and, and, um, you know, create your own major can sometimes become a punchline. But it seems like in this case, it really, it really made sense. Yeah. Yes. For Um, me and Ken Burns, it really worked out. Um. So, you know, you mentioned that it kind of just became you you did the festival for 10 years and you, you know, decided that that 10 years was a good time to end it. I mean, how much did that have to do with with moving out of New York and and moving to Cape Cod because that is such a, a dramatic uh a move for a for a stand-up comedian, I think. Um, I mean, a, a fair amount, but also Julie who I, you know, pro- directed the movie and produced the festival, like she had also moved to Massachusetts. <clears throat> a lot of our friends had moved away, so Part of it was also like having a family and stuff and booking these shows, you know, you're sort of reaching out to friends who are around. And and then if you're creating themes, it's sort of like, well, you know, you, you start trying to create themes that like more like that are more versatile in terms of like, well, because um, like we had a show that was like comedians who wear black glasses and <laughs> then you need comedians who do that. Or like one time we had a show about that was like food themed and mm-hmm. we thought of so many comedians who had tons of stuff about food and then most of them ended up being not available. Yeah. So then we had sort of and then we did cr- other creative things with other comedians <laughs> and it was really fun, but it was a great deal of work. Yeah. You forced um, comedians to come up with new food bits? or No. Well, we had like, I went to Brighton Beach and bought a ton of caviar and we had a caviar eating contest. Uh, you that could get, fun. I think, like a pound for maybe 20 or $30. Oh, it wow. was a great deal. Um, 
And so we did that and other stuff. But in general, the festival was like a lot of work. And it, you know, it was really fun, but it also became harder and harder with people moving away meant like trying to fly some people in. Mm -hmm. And we had like Sub Pop would give us a little money every year because with no like demand of, of doing anything specific. And that was really nice. But again, you know, that could cover a few flights or something. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem like the goal of the festival was making money is the vibe that I that Right. I well, partially because also like. Yeah, it's all friends doing favors, so it's not like, uh, yeah, you don't want to try to figure out, like, how can I make the most out of John Oliver? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you're more just like, if you want to come by and do this and it's fun for you, please do. Mm -hmm. But then as a result, you sort of keep tickets kind of like 15, 20 bucks and you, yeah, it doesn't really make money, but it's but it's really fun. Yeah. Um, and it's very nice. So, yeah, I think moving away definitely was like this is, and in general, it was like very fun to do, but, you know, um, I have to like wake up with my son mm -hmm. and I can't be like sorry son I have to think of a silly show you feed yourself this morning coming up Eugene talks about what it was like to tell cancer jokes on stage for the first time and later we go deep on Bob's Burgers Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So this movie, you know, starts as a movie about a comedy festival and really mm -hmm. becomes something very different um, when we learn about your, your wife's struggles with cancer. Yeah. Um, were, you, were you hesitant to kind of put that out into the world in a movie like this in such a, um, in such a big way? Yeah. Yes. Because I've never quite done anything. This movie is by far the most sort of personal thing mm -hmm. that I've ever done or been a part of. Um, but it also was very much part of the story and and she had you know she had cancer the, she had this is her second time having it um and now it's stage 4 and then before even when she got it i you know i had considered you know just cuz all the stuff you go through like trying to have material about it um and then just kind of kept not having any or not knowing how to do it or whatever and then this movie felt maybe like the right way and in general i feel like i it helps me to have like a goal. Like even like when I had like the weekly comedy show in, in Brooklyn or whatever, it meant that every week I had to try to come up with something new in case some of the people were the same or, or fix up a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so in general, I like having like a deadline with goals. So being like, I'm going to try to come up with material about cancer mm -hmm. <laughs> for this documentary. It is a sort of crazy way to be like, I'm going to do this thing that really terrifies me and I guess I'll do it and document it. <laughs> 
Um, so that was really that that was part of it. I guess was the coming up with the material um, for when you were making the documentary yeah. was kind of all in, happening in the same. At yeah, the same and then time. also just in, choosing to include the story of what was going on, you know, which ended up in a sense being like that, like the this sort of intense personal thing. Um, but also, it is the truth. It's the case. It's like partially, you know. Again, I I always had said that I thought I'd end up on Cape Cod more than LA and I and really what I meant in a sense was that I'd probably end up like back in Massachusetts where mm -hmm. my family and and fr long time and friends are um and then same with my wife you know she's from Amherst and so we have just a lot of friends there and a lot of our family and yeah so it was it was very scary and in general it remains sort of strange and scary having this be in the world but also I think from the initial reaction, it seems like people find it um, moving and, and sweet. And so oh, that's abs nice. absolutely. Um, and I think it is also just a fascinating look at how a comedian, in, you know, in your case, takes something from their life, how, how they go about taking something from their life and trying to find that's, that's something that's not funny at all and trying to find something that is funny about it. And I think you do it in a very unique, you know, Eugene Merman way. Yeah. Um, what was that like for you to kind of to, to how did how well, did you approach it well i approached it the way i approach all comedy which is that it's you know in a sense trial and error where you try something and you see what works and then you kind of think about it and you're like oh i you know i should have introduced it this way or that way and i and it's funny because i also living on the cape the truth is i could only try all that stuff like 10 times eight times like where normally mm -hmm. you try it like 50 times yeah um and uh, you know, yeah, you just try it and you go like, oh, this worked, this didn't, oh, maybe introduce it this way, okay, that, like, and you kind of don't know, is this going to be sad or funny until you read it and people laugh or you read it and people are like, oh, that's very upsetting. Um, <laughs> yeah, we should say you, you make uh, cancer greeting cards yeah, uh, that, that you that you hand uh, Drew and, and, and present to the Yes, to the and audience. it's funny, and they sort of evolve because by the final ones, I kind of made them more like traditional greeting cards where there's something on the outside and then you open it and there's something on the inside that's like... And, um, and, in, and in one thing I think I, you know, in the movie I forget if I said, but part of it also was like, it was, you know, I think I say it's you could give it to somebody with cancer, but I also mean that you could give it to caregivers because I think that in general, when I or or anyone says like tells people that they that you that someone has cancer especially if it's like terminal um then you know people are at a complete loss of what to say and so the idea of the bit was here's what you could say in response to someone giving you the sort of devastating news and and it could be for people who are you know relatives or friends of someone with cancer or somebody with it um that was sort of the yeah the idea for it do you remember the first time you tried it and what, what it, happened? Yeah, it was at the Hong Kong. It was at the Chinese mm -hmm. restaurant. It's in the movie. Um, it, it actually went pretty well um, in a way that was a, like partially a relief. Though, though, again, you try the stuff and sometimes it bombs and sometimes it works. And, 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 and the thing that often makes that the case, it's more like maybe how you introed it. Like I think there's like one time where it doesn't go great in the movie where I introed it. And I think a way that was like too, like my wife was there and I was really nervous and mm -hmm. I think it was like too uh, emotional. And then like the time at the end of the movie, it works much better. It's like I was much more relaxed and I figured out how to explain the idea that I had much better. And it wasn't as, as heavy in a certain sense, though it was heavy just because the subject matter is inherently heavy. Um, but again, I think that's part of what makes it work is this sort of heavy thing delivered in a lighter tone. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But but yeah, I mean, I went about it the way I would do anything 
and then there's also like then there's the, that bit and then there's just like some jokes or stories and then um that you're just trying and hoping it works that's the the thing that's hard is like if i tell some joke about a thing that happened on the street and it doesn't work like kind of who cares mm -hmm. but to me if i tell a joke about like something i'm going through that's really hard and my wife's illness and it like doesn't work then that it's like particularly upsetting <laughs> even though it's you know it doesn't it doesn't necessarily need to be. It just happens to be. Yeah. Me. Well, it's uh, yeah. I mean, that's the that's what makes that kind of personal comedy hard. I think, and and yeah. or it can make it hard, but it can also make it so effective when it when yes. it does work. Yeah. Um, we see your wife um react uh at one point to to the to the bit um, yeah, in yeah. the movie and seems kind of like eh, not yeah, yeah. unsure about it. Well, because it, it was yeah. the show where it like yeah. didn't go that great. Yeah. yeah. She was like, yeah, it's a little cancery. Yeah. <laughs> but in general, was she, how did she feel about, um, you know, you making, I think the joke that she really shows? likes, which is also probably a joke I like is actually where I talk about how I've been like t telling people about, uh, cancer and then sort of being invited to a play or something and like me being like, oh, I can't go. And then sort of being like, oh, we're only allowed to do stuff that's necessary or enjoyable. <laughs> and so I yeah. think like that joke, I think that the things that sort of speak to like the, that, that kind of thing, um, and then even other jokes that are in it that are like, you know, I talk about like our surrogacy process, you mm -hmm. know, and those are the sort of things that I, you know, I, it's, that wasn't as much like exactly the stuff that was personal in that way wasn't really as much a part of stand up I'd done before. So this movie has both a lot of very silly things and silly parts mm. of, of my stand up, but then also handfuls of stories from, you know, a joke from something that happened as a kid and then sort of surrogacy process and then cancer. Yeah. I mean, when um, you, when you started out, you probably didn't, couldn't imagine that you would be joking about cancer and surrogacy uh, down, <laughs> down the line. No, no, that's, that wouldn't be what you, what you'd expect. The reason, uh, so the reason that my wife and I had it though through the surrogate is actually because she has cancer and, uh, and people, you know, I don't tell people a lot, and often when I do, it's like if they're like, hey, do you, you want to come see my play? And I'm like, I would love to, <laughs> what's your play about? Oh, it's about food addiction from the point of view of a ghost. <laughs> Still can't go, <laughs> would love to. We're only allowed to do stuff that's necessary or enjoyable. One of the really moving things, too, is that the, in the movie we see how you're talking about this kind of inspires some of the other comedians to tell stories that they weren't planning on telling. Yeah. Um, what what was that like for you to to see, um, you know, John Glazer in particular tells a very moving um, story yeah. about his, I mean, his father? Uh, it was wonderful. I mean, again, and that's sort of, I think, like that that kind of i think when people say like what's alternative comedy i think like when you watch the sort of spirit of these different stories and these sort of impromptu things that are emotional but really funny like bobcat's story about robin williams is mm -hmm. really really funny yeah and and really emotional um and so yeah i mean i love john's story that's it's so great um and i love you know bobcats and, and gaffigan has really great jokes about cancer that make me laugh a lot well, you know, since we're kind of on a on a down note now, I, I do want to talk about um something a little more fun, uh, which is Bob's Burgers. Yes, <laughs> um, which I know is a, is a show that that I love, um, and uh, you know, I, I think you have a ton of fans uh, through that show, um, and so I mean, I guess first, could you when when that show started, I, 
could could you have imagined that it that it would get to to nine seasons and counting? I mean, it's kind of incredible that, that it, it is these... amazing because it's like I guess there's like a handful of cartoons on or animated shows on Fox that have done this specifically. Like I think that it's not common for any show to last this long. So no, I mean, did I expect a thing that is super rare to happen? <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably not. Um, but you know, we worked on the like this like eight minute demo of Bob's Burgers for maybe two years, like oh, a year wow. and a half or two, like going to the studio and recording little things. Lauren Bouchard, who created the show, cast all of us. And then we would sort of go in periodically and do different stuff. And originally Dan Mintz played uh, a boy named Dan. Mm -hmm. And then I think that somebody came up with the idea of switching him to Tina. And he at first thought that I think he was going to be replaced. And they were like, no, no, no it's still your voice. <laughs> You're just now Tina. Um, which, which added a lot, I think. It that, did. That it changed. did. Yeah. And um, so, no, I I mean, it's amazing that, that it's going to, that it's, yeah, still still going. And it's also, again, like a lot of the projects that, that I end up being part of. I mean, it's a show of, of friends, you know, people mm -hmm. who I've known for, I mean, Lauren I knew in Boston um, when he was doing home movies with Brendan Small, who was my roommate at the time. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and everybody who's in, and Dan Mintz used to do stand-up uh, at the comedy studio when I was in Boston there. Um and Kristen, I've known forever. So yeah, what did uh, what did Lauren tell you about um, Gene when he when he kind of came to you with this uh, with this idea? I think it was that he had sort of this idea for each of us to be, you know, each of our characters, and then sort of we did it kind of in conjunction. Like you know, there were the lines, and we would read it, and we would do different stuff, and then we would improvise and sort of our dynamic. I think we all kind of developed it together. Um, I think that uh, I don't. I can't remember the specific direction mm -hmm. that Lauren gave or didn't give, but I think like we each brought our own exuberance to, to or 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 mellowness to each yeah. character, depending. There's an interesting interesting thing with you know shows like this and The Simpsons where they're on for for many years. The characters aren't growing in mm -hmm. age necessarily, um, but do you feel like they do grow in, in other Maybe ways? Maybe in depth in certain ways, and you and their world expands, but they stay sort of in the same, uh, yeah, like the same age and the same sort of moment, but the, but you, but the growth is there. Like, you still feel like they had 10 Christmases, mm -hmm. even though it's as if it's the same Christmas. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think there's something actually kind of really wonderful about animation being able to freeze you know, uh, families or, or whatever, it is at whatever moment in time that you then kind of get to relive being on a particular kind of precipice, mm -hmm. you know, never too failing, never too successful, um, this kind of interesting balance. But I think the show, the warmth of the show and like the amount, I mean, the amount that both like the family taunts each other and clearly loves each other is I think one of its strong suits, which I think is very much, you know, Lauren Bouchard and uh, Jim Dotry brought to to the show, mm -hmm. and you mentioned that there there is some improvisation in the way you do it. But since you record uh, separately from everyone, how does that so we record technically? So, so the way so when I say I record separately in Boston, what I actually mean is I record at the same time as everyone oh, wow. in New York and L.A. It's just that I'm in Boston, and it's true that it's a little easier to improvise if you're in the same room, but we all get to go like, oh, can I try this line or can I do this or can I add this tag? And then when you're together, it is a little easier to like make eye contact and mm -hmm. you're, you're sort of uh, doing stuff off each other. But often like if somebody will take something in whatever direction, you can jump in and 
um, so, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, a lot of it also is, is like what's written, but, but then in, even in general, like there'll be some joke and then you'll try a version, the writers will suggest a version, Lauren will suggest a version. So there's like seven potential jokes for each joke. Um, and you know, in the end that they just edit, you know, this day's worth of recording. And then they also sometimes rewrite stuff or take an improv and make it clearer. And then you go in and re-record it later. Um, do you have a lot of people, uh, who recognize you from your, from your voice? Do you, do you encounter yeah, that much? Moderate, yeah. Like I think people who, yeah, like you sound strangely familiar <laughs> or are. Cause your yeah. voice is a little different than, than the voice that you're doing on the, on the show, but it's still very recognizable. Well, it's, I think it's basically, well, yeah, because I'm not yelling, like, meaning <laughs> the vo- I'm not doing a voice. I'm just yeah. yelling more mm-hmm. as Gene. Mm-hmm. So like if someone sees me yelling somewhere i guess they're like oh my god that little boy really wants a crap um (laughs) um but uh yeah so sometimes people recognize me by my voice okay who wants eggs yes please yes hurry it up gene where's gene i think he was getting ready to do a performance of the gene show oh right the gene show um do you think he wants eggs does this answer your question five hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred eggs i'll take that as a yes do you guys want scrambled or fried scramble please fried does this answer your question scrambly 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 oh 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 what i missed did the gene show already start so so far, he's done one song and one performance piece as a scrambled egg. Darn it. But don't worry, Mother. As a special treat for our audience today, I am offering exclusive Gene Show merch. Is that my shirt? It can be for $4. So before we wrap up, what I wanted to do um, is kind of run through uh, your your co-stars on Bob's Burgers and just um, see if you have any kind of memory or story or kind of thing that, that comes to mind when you, when you think about them. Um, starting uh, with H. John Benjamin. H. John Benjamin. Um, it's funny. I feel like <laughs> I have like hundreds of stories in mind, but I can't. You know what story? I think this is true. Um, I believe once at a at some sort of party in New York City. I I wasn't there, but John told me a story where he pretended to be, I believe, Chris Notes' agent to Chris Notes <laughs> and was like, I'm going to take your career to the next level and all this stuff. When I think he was like already on a bunch of shows and very <laughs> successful, but John looks like an agent and was just pretending to be an agent for like two hours. Did and Chris Notes buy it? or <laughs> Probably politely was just like, yeah, sounds great. I got to go. But like, I think John, it was like whatever bit. He did probably throughout that night. And that story always made me laugh. Uh, oh, actually, another thing that makes me laugh that John did, which is there was a Sex of the City tour in New York. Mm. And John was in like, I don't know, some episode in like one of the first season. Oh, really? And so he sees this tour and he <laughs> runs up to it and he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry I'm late. Here I am. And the tour guide's like, what's what's happening? And then somebody recognizes him from Sex in the City because he was on the show and is like, oh, my God, you're here. And it created just this massive confusion. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I adore John. John made me, it makes me laugh more than anyone. I like that both of those stories are Sex in the City related. Yes, yes. They're, they're, they're the stories that come to mind. Um, what about John Roberts, who plays Linda on the show? John Roberts is uh, uh, just like a buoyant energy. Um, 
one year he at Comic Con he DJed the Fox Party and we all danced and it was really fun. Um, I I don't know. I don't know that I have like yeah. a specific like. That's okay. Yeah, I mean that's a totally solid story and for <laughs> me who had a lot of fun. Um, about Larry Murphy who plays Teddy. Um, Larry Murphy. I just beat him at darts. I can't wait till he step nine months later. He hears <laughs> that's that's my story about him. He lives in a, a half hour from me in Massachusetts oh, as well. well. He'll probably move to L.A. because uh, people will put him in stuff where he acts. But for now, he lives near me, and we get to play darts, and it's very nice. Uh, Dan Mintz, you mentioned. Also, Larry was someone who I started comedy, like doing comedy with in Boston in the like uh, 90s. He worked at Bose. He was like Bose's number one like salesman. Oh, my God. And he kept refusing to quit to pursue comedy. Luckily, he did. Luckily, we convinced him to move to New York City and become uh, a star. But he could still fall back on selling uh He would probably be equipment. very good at selling. He could. He could. Um, yeah, he was, I think, in all honesty, he was number two. To, oh. I want to be fair to him. But number two at selling speakers is probably very good. <laughs> and then uh, eventually he was convinced to move, to stop doing that and, and do comedy full time. Uh, you mentioned Dan Mintz, who plays uh, Tina and was originally playing a boy on the show. Um, and is, I think, just so funny and has... Yeah. has uh, People. Darkly whimsical stand-up. Yeah. Um, so any, anything that, that comes to mind when you when you think about him? Um, uh, the, the, he's, he's, you know what? I adore Dan. He, um, people are always like, who's the most like their actual character? Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, it's sort of a toss-up probably between me and Dan. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's probably Dan because the truth is like, I'm probably not as exuberant as Gene is. Yeah. But Dan is probably... Um, uh, like sort of as like mellow and, and awkward as Tina <laughs> and funny. Yeah. And uh, last but of course not least is Christian Schaal, who I know you've known for, for yeah. a really long time um, and is in the film and, and was, you know, has participated in the festival and all that. So mm-hmm. so what is it that that makes her so uh, so special? I mean, she's I mean, she is just like a brilliant mind. Like she's so funny. She thinks of things in just like these she she has she has so many bits that are like these high concept things that are also just so funny and kill um and she's just i mean she's also just a joy um yeah she's one of the most fun people uh, and when did you when did you meet her cuz you've, you've well, known met her, her for around, a long time again 2000 2001 i moved to new york in 2000 so probably sometime 2001 or 2 or so i must have seen her doing stuff um yeah and she yeah so so i probably met her and then we would be on shows together and stuff Mm -hmm. uh one thing i realized we didn't mention that i feel like has to be mentioned about this film is the drunk ira glass scene which i think is going to get a lot of uh attention uh perhaps because i'm you know obviously people know about it because it happened at the the festival but i think a lot more people will end up seeing it in, in the film than saw it then um so what can you just tell what, so what, what happened, happened was there you, so Elna Baker and Kevin Townley were these two uh, co- comics or writers or performers who used to do this show called Talent Show and it had different themes one time the theme was like speech and debate and another time it was truth or dare and then this one was the drunk show and basically they came up with all these different games and all these different things that involved like do this or that and, you know, take a shot. And Ira, who, who Ella works on This American Life, 
And Ira, I think, like just had a ton, like a like a glass like a glass glass of whiskey um, because he was nervous because he mm-hmm. doesn't really perform. Though I'd seen him do lots of things and do that show before. He had, I think, come up with the idea of the drunk show. Oh, really? I, I think that, or in that's in the movie, <laughs> that's what it says. Like I think he had this idea that it would be this incredible story of this like thing that unfolded. But Elna used to be Mormon. And uh, didn't really drink and maybe started like that year or the year before mm-hmm. or something like that. So she came up with all the games but didn't really have a sense of <laughs> uh, ratio. Yeah. Um, and so it just so, – so everybody got pretty drunk except for a hit. Like I think like a handful of people remained like not super drunk because they knew how scared to be of it. <laughs> and then – but Ira was really, I think he was just nervous to perform. And so he had a glass of whiskey before he went on stage and then also more shots on stage. And I think he was, he had never had this before, but he had blacked out and then was such a sweetheart. He had to like, <laughs> I think, like explain gerrymandering and did a pretty good job. And then, yeah, there's shots of him uh you know, being really goofy, and it's it's funny. So I think that yeah, that's an accomplishment in itself. Is you got Ira Glass to black out for the first time, first and, and only, first and only. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Thankfully, um, but he, yeah, he. It was yes, he obeyed the sweetheart, which was really funny. All right, well, uh, I think we're I think we're all good. Great. Well, thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. Yeah. Bye. Thank you so thank much. You. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much to Eugene Merman for doing two interviews with me for this week's show. I am really wishing him and his son all of the best right now. It Started as a Joke is available now for purchase on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and a bunch of other platforms. Definitely check it out if you can. It's a really wonderful film. If you like the show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Red Rock Music. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.